we're here at the doctor's office. Don't worry, I'm okay. <laughs> but the other day I was in a waiting room and I'm sitting there six feet distant from another guy in the waiting room and he, he asked me what I do for a living and I said, well, I'm a minister. And at this point, three things can happen. One, it can shut down all conversation. Two, it can start a really deep and meaningful conversation. Or three, the person will say, oh, you're a minister. Well, let me ask you a spiritual question. And uh, this guy chose door number three. The problem with door number three is that it's usually not actually a question. Take, for instance, what this guy says. Oh, you're a minister. Well, let me, let me ask you a spiritual question. This coronavirus, it's from God, isn't it? It's a punishment for the sins of our world. Just, just look around. There's sin everywhere. This coronavirus is a punishment. It is a sign from God that this world needs to repent. Right? <laughs> Just because you put right with a question mark at the end of a statement like that does not make it a question. Now, maybe some of you are thinking the same thing he's thinking. Probably most of you aren't, but you definitely know someone who is thinking that very thing. This coronavirus is so widespread that maybe this is from God. Maybe this is some kind of punishment for the sins of our world. And even if you're not thinking that, you've seen it on Facebook, you know someone who is, and I want to equip the Highland Church, the members of this church, to have meaningful Bible-based, gospel-centered conversations about things that matter. And right now, this matters a lot. This question, is the coronavirus a punishment or a sign from God that this world needs to repent. <clears throat> now, this guy in the waiting room wasn't the only one asking that question. I came across a, one of those advice columns. This one's in a Jewish newspaper called The Forward, and somebody writes in to the authors, and they say, what if my kid asks, did God send the coronavirus to punish us just like he did when he punished Pharaoh? Signed, helpless mom. And they replied, Dear helpless, thou shalt tell thy child on that day that it is because Sodom and Gomorrah and you not putting your Legos away when I asked that this virus shall come to pass. I feel bad for helpless mom because she's got some smart kids. You know, apparently her kids have been reading their Bible, at least their Old Testament. You know, if you pick up your Old Testament, like the story of the 10 plagues and Pharaoh, <clears throat> you'll definitely find examples where God sends punishment against those who are in sin. And by sin, I mean when we are making choices that resist or dishonor the design of God. And this kid is right. You definitely see in the Old Testament and in the story of the 10 plagues that God sends punishment against those who resist him, who are in sin. So take, for example, Pharaoh. <clears throat> in this story, uh, Israel has been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God sends Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. Resisting God, i.e. sin. So then God sends 10 plagues. So frogs and boils and hail and finally death. You can read about those 10 plagues in Exodus 7 through 11. And there's a real parallel to this current moment with coronavirus. Now, it's not an exact parallel. You know, we haven't had a problem with frogs, for example. But it is a, a calamity 
that humanity is enduring, right? And this one is sent by God, the ten plagues. Now, the greatest calamity to come upon Israel, the people of God, in the Old Testament is, without a doubt, the Babylonian exile. Just in terms of how much time in Scripture is spent addressing this one calamity, we would say that the greatest suffering of Israel in the Old Testament is the Babylonian exile. So this, if you back up, is when the Jews are conquered by this mighty empire of Babylon. They're taken away from their homes, away from everything they loved, and they're sent to live in Babylon. And Daniel, the prophet Daniel, reflects on this in Daniel 9, and he seems to know exactly why this happened. Listen to what he says. But we are ashamed this day. We, the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all Israel, whether near or far, in whatever country where you've driven them because of their unfaithfulness when they broke faith with you. Lord, we are ashamed. We are kings, our leaders, and our parents who sinned against you. His point's pretty clear. This disaster was not an accident. Israel was sent into exile by God for their sins. This was a punishment from God for sin. Now, what we should point out here is that in the Old Testament, when the people of God are punished, sometimes it's simply destructive, but most of the time, the point of the punishment is actually reconciliation or redemption. It is, it is designed to cause the people of Israel or the people of God to repent, to turn around and come back. So the point of punishment is actually reconciliation. Still, if you read much of your Old Testament, you'll probably conclude Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And when something bad happens to you, it's because you're acting badly. You're sinning. And so you should turn around and repent. But even in the Old Testament, we see it is not that simple all the time. So take Psalm 44, for example. In Psalm 44, the author describes this host of just terrible things that have happened to he and his people. And then he says this, All this has come upon us, but we haven't forgotten you or broken your covenant. Our hearts haven't turned away, neither have our steps strayed from your way. In other words, sometimes bad things happen to good people. So even the Old Testament makes the point that, that the answer to that question is coronavirus, a punishment from God. Well, it is not a simple answer because sometimes bad things happen to good people, but the Old Testament at least confirms that occasionally, God does punish his people, whether it's as a sign of repentance or simply a punishment. If you were just reading your Old Testament, you'd be left to conclude, yeah, sometimes God might do that. But now, that is what God did then. The question is, is that what God does now? So N.T. Wright came out with a new book recently called God and the Pandemic. And I'm drawing on that book some for this sermon and the next one. And in that, in that book, he says that one of the most important words in the New Testament for Christians like you and me to pay attention to is the word now. Okay? And by now, what we, the New Testament means is this time after, since the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And things are not the same now. God is unchanged. God is unchanging. 
But the way that God interacts with and treats his world has been forever changed by Jesus Christ. The way God treats his world is now defined by the life, death, resurrection, and lordship of Jesus, which allows Paul to say this in Romans. But now God's righteousness has been revealed apart from the law, which is confirmed by the law and the prophets. God's righteousness comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who have faith in him. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. But all are treated as righteous freely by his grace because of a ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. This passage is so important. I cannot oversell it. He's saying that before or back then, God viewed humans as unrighteous and therefore deserving of punishment. And sometimes God's actions towards humans reflected that, okay? But because of the faithfulness of Christ, Jesus faithful in his death and resurrection for you and me, because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, now the righteousness of Jesus is transferred from him to me and to you. There's no distinction, Paul says. The righteousness of Jesus is now my righteousness. Yes, We sin and fall short of the glory of God, but God no longer sees us as sinners. God, as I've said before, looks at you and looks at me and sees Jesus Christ. God now sees us as righteous. And this is so big, okay? This is so big because it means, as Paul says, that if God sees us as righteous, he treats us as righteous, right? This is good news, Praise God for this. In this world that is filled with bad news, this news is good and true. Because of Jesus Christ, God now sees and treats his people as righteous. Now, I recognize that Paul says that this is true for all who have faith in him. And obviously, not all have faith in him. So somebody might argue, well, God might be punishing those people with the coronavirus as a sign for those people to repent, but that logic doesn't hold up. Why? Well, because Christians are getting sick too. Um, I've got a stack of books on my nightstand, probably like you do, of books that I've been waiting and meaning to get to, and I haven't got to them yet. So when the coronavirus pandemic began, I was looking for, for a book that was timely, and I grabbed the book Called for Life by Kent and Amber Brantley. Now, you remember Kent Brantley. He is a, a rock star in Churches of Christ, which we don't have many of. But he's a big deal in Churches of Christ because he famously contracted Ebola while in the mission field and survived from Ebola. Now, if there's ever been a faithful person, it is Kent and Amber Brantley, like two amazingly faithful people. In their book, they talk about how they didn't just decide to go into the mission field and do medical mission work. They were called by God to do it, and they answered God's call on their life. And ultimately, that call took them to Liberia, where they were serving when this Ebola pandemic broke out. And Kent was working in the hospital as a physician there and ultimately contracted the virus and came very close to death. So here's the thing. Good Christians still get sick in pandemics. So if you buy that this is a divine punishment, then you accept that Christians are also getting sick from it, 
you have to do one of two things. You either have to deny the gospel that God treats us as righteous, and that is core to the gospel of Jesus Christ, or number two, you have to argue that those Christians who get sick must not be real Christians. You know, they must have some secret sins that are so great that even the blood of Christ can't atone for. And again, you're undermining the central gospel message that the cross of Jesus is sufficient. It is enough to deal with all sin. So if you say, well, those aren't real Christians, they must be secret sinners, newsflash, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, for instance, Buster, our youth minister, got COVID-19. Now, what are we to do with that? Are we to say, well, you know, Buster must not be a real Christian. Buster must have some secret sin that is terrible. Well, here's the thing. We don't have to assume that. We know Buster's a sinner. He's the worst, right? But Kim, she also got COVID-19, Buster's wife, and she's basically an angel. So the logic does not, does not hold up, right? Yeah, Buster, you know I had to do that to you. I love you, Buster. I'm glad you're feeling better, by the way, you and Kim. All right. Do you remember Job's friends? <laughs> Job is this Old Testament figure who loses everything. And Job's friends show up on the scene and they begin to say things like, Job, you must have some secret, terrible sin. And Job says, no, I'm righteous. I'm a good dude. And they're like, no, no, you must have some secret, terrible sin because good people don't suffer. And finally, God shows up on the scene and God tells Job, your friends don't know anything. Right? The point is clear. Do not go equating sin with sickness and suffering. Okay? Just because someone is sick or suffering does not mean that they are a special sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why do Christians say things like that? I was reminded of this years ago after the earthquake in Haiti when Pat Robertson on his show, The 700 Club, said that the reason that this terrible earthquake took place in Haiti and cost the lives of so many was because the Haitian people years before, during the time of Napoleon, had made a pact with the devil. Why? Why do Christians say things like that? The logic just does not hold up. And frankly, we are doing a disservice, an incredible disservice to the gospel message when we say that. But the reality is many believe it. So many have suffered abuse because they believe they deserved it. So many who were sick failed to get the help they needed because they thought they deserved it and were being punished for their sin. And even so many Christians, when they see somebody hurting, suffering, or even killed in our world, look for a reason to explain it. This person must have had it coming, right? That gives us comfort to think that this world is predictable and understandable until we are the ones suffering, and then we realize that logic is bankrupt. Okay, Remember, Job's friends are misinformed and unhelpful. It's the wrong thing to do to equate suffering with sin. Okay, And more importantly, that is not how God treats us. That's the point that we read about here in Romans that God treats us who are sinners as righteous now. But now, Paul says. Years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah, who was back then, was able to peer forward into the now that you and I are living in. And he said this, he said, 
He was pierced because of our rebellions and crushed because of our crimes. He bore the punishment that made us whole, and by his wounds, we are healed. And as Christians, we read those words that were back then looking into the now, and we believe that Jesus fulfilled every one of those. And the point is that because of Jesus, God has no reason to punish us. Jesus has already been punished for our sins. God has no reason to punish us because the cross was sufficient. And since God's people are also getting sick and dying from the coronavirus, it cannot be a punishment from God. Okay, but could it still be a sign from God? You know, a sign that this world needs to repent. You know, maybe God has sent this sign and and even those Christians who are getting sick and dying are there's kind of collateral damage on a really important message that God's trying to send the world. Is this a sign? Well, do you remember what Jesus said about signs? This is what he says. This is so important. <clears throat> he says, this generation is an evil generation. So he would agree with the guy in the waiting room that, yes, our world is sinful. This generation is an evil generation. It looks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except Jonah's sign. Just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the human one will be a sign to this generation. This is so important. Again, this is another passage that's incredibly important to understand what's going on right now. He's saying that now there is only one sign that's going to be given. And that sign is, as he calls it here, the sign of Jonah. So to understand this, you got to remember Jonah. Jonah was an Old Testament prophet. Uh, probably if you've got little kids, the story of Jonah is one of their favorite stories. Every morning when we do breakfast Bible time, Deacon, our youngest, asks for fish, fish, fish. He wants the story about Jonah and the fish. So in that story, Jonah is swallowed into the belly of a giant fish. And he's in the darkness of that fish for three days before the fish, by the power of God, spits Jonah out onto dry land. Okay. Jesus is not talking about Jonah when he says the sign of Jonah is the only sign this generation is going to get. In fact, he says just a few verses later, one greater than Jonah is here. He's talking about himself. Jesus is not talking about Jonah. He is talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. He's saying that in his death, in the tomb for three days, and then his resurrection, God has provided the ultimate sign that this world needs to repent. Not only the ultimate sign, but as he says here, the only sign now. And Jesus, and just as sorry as the cross, just as the cross is sufficient, this sign is sufficient. God does not need to signal to the world again that they need to repent. He has signaled in a way that is so much more powerful than the coronavirus. You know, frankly, so many things, thousands of things in this world have the ability to take life, but only one in the history of the world has had the power to give life from death, the sign of Jonah, to bring someone dead from the grave three days back to life. There is only one power in the history of the world that has been able to do that, and that is the power of God through Jesus Christ. So frankly, the coronavirus and resurrection are two words that don't deserve to be in the same sentence, right? The power of the resurrection is incomparable. It is matchless and glorious. The coronavirus is nothing by comparison. And because that power is so great, 
that sign is sufficient to tell this world they need to repent. Jesus tells a story of an owner of a vineyard who leaves the vineyard and then sends a servant to go and collect from the tenant farmers working the vineyard the harvest that is due him. And the first servant he sends, they be and, and send away. So he sends another servant, and this one they kill. And he sends many more servants, and each one is beaten or killed. And finally, we read this. Now the landowner had one son who he loved dearly. He sent him last, thinking, they'll respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to each other, this is the heir. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They grabbed him, they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. Okay, Jesus isn't talking about a vineyard. He's not talking about some farm owner. He's talking about himself. The message is clear. God has sent his son, and he's not sending anyone or anything else. We read this a few verses later. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is amazing in our eyes. Listen, the coronavirus is not a punishment from God. It's not even a sign from God that this world needs to repent, that this world needs to turn from its sin. Does this world need to turn from its sin? Yes. Is this world sinful? Yes, absolutely. Is that sin an affront to the holy God who made and loves this world? Yes, absolutely. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. You know, the punishment that we deserved was on him and by his wounds were healed. Now, if you're lost and if you're afraid, if you're making a mess of your life, you do not need the coronavirus to signal to you that you need to turn things around. Like that signal has been sent and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, those who are born into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in baptism are no longer viewed as sinners. They are viewed as righteous because the cross was sufficient. Okay, those who belong to him, God now looks at and he sees his son. You don't need the coronavirus to signal to you that you need to turn from a life of sin and turn towards Jesus. You just need Jesus and you have got it. He is so close. He is not far from any one of us, just just turn to him. The coronavirus will not last, but the grace of Jesus Christ will. Turn to him, not because you are afraid of getting sick, but because his grace is sufficient and because he is worthy of all honor and praise and glory. 